Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Santa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Today is Monday, November 16th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 5, paragraph 5, beginning with, Shortly afterwards, I came home. Today's readers are Judy S. for the 12 Steps, Dennis B. for the 12 Traditions, and reading the literature today are Du L., Larry K., and Karen S. Share our for Sunday, November 15th, our special edition meeting for panelist speakers entitled A New World Came Into View is 8 to Zero zero eight two zero zero. OA Preambles Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Judy S. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Santa. This is Judy S. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Judy S. I will now ask Janice B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, family. This is Janice B., compulsive overeater in Vermont. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Janice B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, Press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone except the speaker should be muted. 
Today we resume our study from the big book on page 5, paragraph 5, beginning with shortly afterwards I came home. We'll be reading two paragraphs ending, and I did. The first paragraph will be for content, and the second paragraph will be for sharing. I will now ask Duel to begin reading, please. Good morning. Shortly afterwards, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to my mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near, near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be, play, be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. I, now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating at the bar, asking myself how, did, how, how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. But I might as well get good and drunk then. And I did. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> good morning. This is Duel, Recover Compulsive Overeater. And what I see here is that... Um, you know, this disease is progressive, and, uh, you know, the great obsession of every abnormal alcoholic compulsive overeater is that someday, somehow, he will beat the game. He will be able to control his alcohol and food and drink and eat like a normal person. And Bill shows through his story that he had great resolve. <laughs> he, he, you know, he failed the first time. He says, well, you know what, I'll try again. I'm, I'm going to do this until I get it. And, you know, we have those, those moments of relief when, when we're abstinent. And we could go for a week, we could go for a day, we could go for a month. But then eventually we go right back to eating, to drinking. And with, with Bill, he had such self-confidence, such self-knowledge that he, he was replaced with cocksureness, you know, overconfidence. He was like, you know, I can laugh at the, at the gym mills. I, I can go to these places that I swore that I would not go to because every single time I go there, I get back into my drinking. I get back into, you know, the, the, the habit of doing these things. And, and sure enough, you know, at, at one point, he says, you know, as whiskey rose to my head, as he triggered the allergy of the body, um, he got the, the forget about it, you know, which, which was, you know, I'm already tank, so I already messed up. I might as well go all the way and, and drink, drink some more. And, and that's what happens to me when I get into my compulsive eating, you know, I I go into that mental twist. The, the, the mental does not even come to my mind anymore because I can't even do anything about it if I trigger the allergy of the body. And that's what he does. He triggers the allergy of the body constantly, and he's going over it and over and over and over again, expecting the different results. And, and that's what happens to the disease. It's like, you know, the mental obsession 
and and also the physical allergy. If I trigger those both, I have no hope. And that's what it shows that any time that I think self will run riot, um, even though I usually don't don't think so, it always leads me back to the disease. And the disease is progressive. It will always get me. It will always put me in that state of being that I can't control this. And that's the admission that Bill hasn't uh, come to yet, but he will soon go through it because pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change and he's about to get into that hopelessness and with that I pass. Santa, we can't hear you. Santa H, are you there? I was muted. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um we will be commenting on the second paragraph that was read. And who would like to comment for approximately three minutes? Mary A. Tina S. You get me Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Reva P. Melissa C. Elizabeth. What page are we on, please? Okay, we're on page five. Thank you. Last paragraph. Uh, this is who I have so far. I have Mary, I have Tina, I have Charles H, I have Melissa C, and I have Angela. And I didn't get last names. Did I miss anyone? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. P. Okay. Well, we'll begin with this list here. And if you would just please mention the initial of your last name. Okay, Mary, you're up first. I'm Mary A. <laughs> And Santa, I, I'm sitting. I don't have a timer. If you could time me. So here I go. Um, good morning, everybody. It's Mary from New Jersey, recovered compulsive eater. And God and abstinence are the most precious gifts I've been given. And I just love the reading this morning. And just showing somebody's not muted. If you could hit star one, I'm sure enough. Anyway, um. I just love the reading this morning. It just shows the vicious cycle. You know, two years ago, before I got my abstinence, I just, like Bill Wilson, it was, you know, just eating, eating, um, spitting out my food by the buckets, and it was just disgusting. But I got my sanity back. But, you know, I'm just so grateful for the Sunday meetings. It's something I could never articulate and it was so beautiful because the speaker talked about that tools um, get a bad rap, you know. And I just couldn't – I can't tell you in my other fellowships how many people, unfortunately, talk about the tools. But they have 30, 25, 30 years of abstinence. But it was how she just told us that the tools are how she works the steps. And it made so much sense. And, you know – because of because of me coming back two years ago and listening to you guys and really getting in the big book, I realized that where I failed was I didn't work the steps. But yes, the tools, especially literature, where I learn and learn so much, and this really helps me work the steps so much, and I'm just so grateful to everything I've learned. So thanks for listening. And thank you, Mary A. And good morning, Tina. Good morning, Santa. Uh, thanks for your service. This is uh, Tina S. from Florida, uh, compulsive eater anorexic. Oh, wow. You know, I just related to so much that was already shared in the 
couple shares, and I too, when I when that was read, first thing that came to mind was, you know, somehow, someday, some way that I can control and enjoy my drinking, eating, and um, that was never the fact. Uh, I could either control it and then not enjoy it, or enjoy it and not be able to control it. That was just the deal for me, and. And I think once, and again, with Sherry, so I'm just reiterating what other people were saying, and because that's what I got from this, that's why we have this common bond, is that, you know, once I put that stuff in my body, you know, all hell breaks loose. You know, I'm sorry for saying that, but, you know, it's exactly what happens. You know, I put something in, and then I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm off and running. And, and and it also tells me in the book, big book, that there'll come a time when I won't have a mental defense, and that happened for me, and that defense must come from a power greater than myself. And and that's what has only been the solution for me. You know, I think um, my disease certainly centers in my mind, but lack of power is my dilemma. And that power, and that must come from a power greater than myself. And that has happened for me in recovery. And you know, and I have to take that first step 100%. And it, tell, people tell me over and over and over. And and that had to happen for me, you know, because I first came into OA and was introduced to the 12 steps uh, in 1988. Uh, my abstinence date is 1999. So there's a, a difference there. And that's because I thought somehow, some way, that I could do this deal on my own and that has not been the case and so just really grateful for the people on the line and I hear so much recovery here and I'm thoroughly thoroughly pleased and uh, grateful that I am able to listen live uh, for for a while anyway so thanks again Santa for your service and um, I pass and thank you Tina S and good morning Charles H good morning Santa H can you hear me I sure can Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Charles H. Recovered Visionary just for today. You know, I want to drill down this whole thing. I want to sink my teeth into this like a meal um, where it says, now I had what it takes. I could so much identify, um, you know, with, with, with uh, you know, having good sugars for the week and, 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 and thinking, you know, in my mind, once I start saying, now I had what it takes, that's a, that's a binge in, in in the mind already, obsession is triggered because I treated. I I think I deserve it. Once I start saying that, and once I start saying that, that means I'm. That's the type of stuff that's blocking me from the access. You know, um, I think it. You know, there's a solution. Or, or no, more about alcohol. Now, yeah, he's talking about the jaywalk. I identified. You know, if he was normal, you think he he cut it. He cut it out. But how many know? I can identify with Mr. Wilson that. I am not normal when it comes to that. I want to share a success story. Um, you know, Friday was uh, World National World Diabetes Day, and I was able to share at the hospital that that uh, that uh, in 1998, my sugar it was crazy. It was 980. I was supposed to be in a coma, dead, and all that good stuff, right? And um, you know, I shared and I shared from a doctor's opinion, and you know, we're gonna have some 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 future. Uh, visionaries coming on, and that's a good thing. But I want to see another story where I was working with somebody that their, their blood sugar was over 300 in the morning, 300. And I was like, you can do it, you can do it, you know, get with your nutritionist, I'm not a doctor, work with them and, 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 and you know, see what you can come up with. And today, this morning, that person's blood sugar is 127. You know, higher power is unbelievable. But you know what? I... I didn't do anything. I um, I couldn't laugh at no gin mills. I couldn't laugh at no binge foods. Uh, 
I, I didn't have what it takes. I have access to somebody, something strong and powerful that has what it takes. If Charles H. thinks he has what it takes, I'll be beaten on the bar table again asking how it happened, knowing darn well I know how it happened. Because I know everything, don't I? <laughs> I know one thing. I need to be on this call every single day and listening to the recordings, too. And with that, I pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. And thank you, Charles H. And good morning, Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Santa. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And um, I'm so happy to get on the line and, and hear all of this this morning. I just, I need to surround myself in, you know, in this, in the message. Um, I'm feeling unsettled and nothing settles me down, but, um, you know, getting right into this work. So I'm just so appreciative to have this this morning. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about my resolve, how often I had relied on my resolve for many things, um, including this, this food issue. You know, I was going to exert my resolve. I was going to once again, um, you know, get control of this problem. And, um, you know, as if I could. And so, yeah, so somehow the food would find its way, you know, into my mouth, almost seeming like an accident. And then, well, I may as well just go crazy, pig out, you know, go nuts. I already ruined it. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, like, years and years ago, um, I used to go to Weight Watchers. That was, like, one of my favorite go-to, you know, resolve diets. And um, there was a lecturer that talked, she's trying to tell us this, this helpful story, and she you know, was doing like an analogy, and she said it's like um, if she accidentally broke a dish, um, you know, while cleaning up, um, she wouldn't, how crazy would it be for her to smash every dish in her home? And, um, you know, and that, and I and I knew what she meant. She meant like if you accidentally eat something you shouldn't eat, you know, it makes no sense to, um, you know, then just go crazy. And, you know, I kept thinking about that for so long when I was trying to rely on self-will because that made sense. Only I can't stop myself. You know, like once the dish breaks, I'm without defense but smashing everything, you know, around me. And that's how it is with the food. Once I've picked up one bite, there is nothing I can do but um, continue on. And and so the key is to um, not ever pick up that bite. Um, and yet, how do we do that when the desire um, always leads us back there? When, you know, the liar in me will always tell myself that I can control even my binging, that I can binge just when I want to, you know, just for the weekend, just for the holiday, and then get right back on a Monday morning. And that's never been, you know, my truth. My truth is it's got to stay down, um, and it can stay down um, you know, with God as my director, and, and that's the prior Thank you with that, okay. And thank you, Melissa C. And now we'll have Angela. Good morning, Angela. Angela, if you're Elizabeth? speaking. Was it Elizabeth? Okay, I thought there was an Angela. Okay, Elizabeth P., you may go right ahead. And you'll be the last one to share this paragraph before moving on. 
Thank you, Santa. Can you hear me okay? I hear you well. Great. This is Elizabeth M., actually, not P. M. from M. New Hampshire, recovering compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your service. And um, I think that, for me, this is just a power-packed paragraph because, you know, I, I know and have been taught that whenever there's an I could or I would in the big book, particularly when we're in the problem, it's Bill talking about self-reliance. And I've had plenty of self-reliance in this disease. And every time I say I could, I can, I would, I will, I'm in trouble. And here he's in so much trouble. And there are two parts to the paragraph for me. I I hope I'm reading this right. The first half, of course, is, um, well, he had some time of sobriety in the sense that he said some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness. I could laugh at the gin mills. So I'm assuming from that that he had some sobriety, not much, but some. So perhaps he was even out of the allergy. Perhaps he was out of the phenomenon of craving. But, you know, now I had what it takes, self-reliance. And I've done this so many times, having some abstinence, having some clarity of abstinence, thinking, oh, I'm out of the woods here. And then... Maybe I would go into a bakery or go in a part of the grocery store that I shouldn't go in or just think, well, I think I'll look at that candy. And if I were eating, what would I, what would I buy? And before I know it, I have that mental blank spot. I'm picking up just the way he did. Uh, one day I walked into a cafe to telephone. He had no business being anywhere where there was alcohol because he was still so newly sober and, you know, I love the sentence, in no time I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. And this is where the mental obsession comes in for me. I don't know how I pick up, but I pick up. And one of the things I didn't understand about an obsession, I knew that an obsession was that I just thought and thought and thought and thought and thought about that. But I didn't realize that the mental obsession replaces all thought, that I had no access any other thoughts. I could have a PhD in addiction studies and it wouldn't matter when the mental obsession strikes because it takes, it hijacks my brain. I have no access to any other knowledge. I'm not thinking about what happened in the past. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen in the future. The obsession may be telling me this time will be different, but that's the only thought that I really have available to myself. And that's why I need the steps. Because all the abstinence in the world is not going to have lifted the mental obsession. That's what the steps do. So while I'm, thank you, God, abstinent, I have to stick close to the steps and do my step work and hopefully get to step 10, God willing, so that that mental obsession will be lifted. I know my allergy will never change. I'll never be able to put the food in my body because of that phenomenon. And I will pass now, and thank you so much. Bye. And thank you so much, Elizabeth M. And thank you all for staying within the time. We are now moving on to the next paragraph. For those who just came in on the line, we are on page six, that first paragraph. And I will now ask Larry Kay to begin reading. Santa, good morning. Thanks for your service. Uh, this is Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader. The, uh, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck for it was scarcely daylight. 
and all my place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. So, you know, here uh, we, we, <laughs> we, we see the remorse, horror, and hopelessness that, uh, that Bill is, is facing here. And we see that, you know, Bill simply cannot outrun this disease. You know, he's no match <clears throat> for the, uh, excuse me, for the obsession of the mind. And I, I, I relate to this, you know. Uh, let me tell you something about, you know, Bill. This was no, this was no dummy, you know. I might even suggest that he was, a, he was a brilliant intellectual guy. Certainly had a great deal of emotional intelligence. And I mean, this drunk was imaginative, creative. Uh, he was an innovator. He was kind of like the, the, you know, the, the Steve Jobs of his day. Uh, you know, a bit eccentric, but extraordinarily capable. Of, of, you know, eventually initiating a movement that would eventually shape the world. I mean, but here he was, you know, full of promise, full of ego, but just like you and me, he was utterly incapable of staying stopped. And, you know, I, I, I kept searching for the answer and one, the one place I would never, ever, ever find it in myself, <laughs> you know, as soon as we stop searching for the answer in ourselves, we invariably get well, provided we place our trust in our creator, you know, taking the action suggested in this program of recovery. And, you know, among other things, the big book uh, taught me that an advanced degree in psychology, you know, useless, useless in overcoming a mind that was defective. My mind was defective. My disease wasn't accepting the currency of the intellect. You know, the obsession crowded out all other ideas to the contrary, just pushed them aside. And you talk about being up a creek without a paddle. That's where we are. My sick mind kept convincing me that despite, you know, all this kind of self-proclaimed intellectual brilliance, all I needed really, you know, was a, a 10-foot-long baguette, you know, a couple pounds of butter and a good book, maybe some isolation thrown in, and then oblivion. See, I can re relate to that oblivion. Oh, you know, and, and then, then I'll get back to work and I'll, I'll, help, I'll help some other people, some other troubled people with their problems. <laughs> I mean, utter, you talk about insanity. You know, there's two doors. You enter the first door and it's just more disease. You enter the second door and, and that's recovery by way of action resulting in a spiritual transformation. And, you know, as we hear at times, there's no door number three. Door number three is death. And that's what we see, you know, with, with what, we're, what we're reading about here is that the progression of this disease, when you're in the quicksand and you're thrashing about, you're just going to go down faster. You have to be saved, pulled from the quicksand. You've got to allow yourself to be saved. Because if you kick and thrash about, you're going to go down faster. It's a miracle, this program. It, it saves lives. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. And who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? Kelsey, this is Zola. Can I share? 
Okay, this is who I have. I heard Chelsea H, I heard Bella G, and I heard Leah M. Who Mr. else? R. Rachel? I didn't get any names. One more time. Nancy R. I heard Nancy R. Janice B. Roxanne B. Okay, who's that in here? I'm having a difficult time hearing. This is what I have. I have Chelsea H., Bella G., and Leah M., and Nancy R. I know I have them out of order, and we'll get back to the rest of you. And thank you. Chelsea H., go right ahead. Chelsea, if you're speaking, we can't hear you. Thank you, Santa. Thanks, Santa, for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Um, My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. This is what it looked like for me when uh, fear would wake me up in the morning and activate all my character defects, and I would engage in eating compulsively, and if if I was drinking actively, drinking compulsively, no matter what I had experienced, because this he's looking at in hindsight, he's saying they were unforgettable, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. But for me, when I was active in the disease, I couldn't bring into memory with sufficient force that I had just spent the entire night binging and purging, getting up in the morning with the horror of collecting all those little bags of vomit so I could get them out of the house in some place far away so nobody would even suspect that it came from out of my house. And my writhing nerves needed a meal. I needed to eat. And as I would go out to take care of the damage done last night, I'd make the rounds. I'd go and I'd make all the rounds at the eateries because I needed to satisfy my addiction. And the whole idea of... um the thought of um, the market would recover and I wouldn't. I didn't even bring into mind anything about the fellowship, anything about the program I was supposed to be working, calling sponsors or making phone calls, any of those things. And I, I don't pray, so there was no praying involved. I didn't know then what I know now, that this whole idea of calamity could be matched with serenity if, I walked through these suggestions outlined in this book and had an experience sufficient enough to shift my thinking from going into doing these things over and over again. And I heard uh, speakers say that the energy, fear is the energy that activates my character defects. And I I agree with that. I agree with that because even after all that I would go through, waking up feeling terrible, over 300 and some pounds, not able to control it with bulimia anymore, I would still go and eat. Several meals will fix this, several bottles of booze if I was drinking, and off to oblivion. Oblivion is a place where I can live because nothing is anything. And I'm okay with that because I didn't want to be anything. And gratefully, this process is for everybody. This process allowed me to walk through and connect with a source greater than myself. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's doing the job for me. And for me, it's divine direction. So for me, that's Dee Dee. Thanks for letting me share. And with that, I pass. 
And thank you, Kelsey H. And good morning, Bella G. And Leah M., you'll be next. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankfully covered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Santa, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Then a mental fact settled down. Gene would fix it. So two battles and oblivion. Wow. Yes, this uh, I was. I was there too. You know, now I know that my disease is allergy in the body and obsession in the mind. But then I didn't know. Then I believed that my problem is that I don't have control. So as soon as I put my allergy food, I had this mental fact. Yes, I believe. Oh, okay, nothing happened. Next time, I will have the control. And this is the, the, the disease, not to be able to live the present and to live the future, to live the future by believing that, yes, I have the control. And what is the control? Jim would fix that. No problem. So today, now I will eat all this kind of food that is allergy for me, but it's okay. I have the control. And what is the control? That's, that's it. Next time, it will be better. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am not there anymore. Now I am in a peaceful place that I know, yes, I don't have the control. And today, thank you, God, through, by doing the steps, I am connected to God, to an accepting, loving power that, yes, I don't have the control. And today I learned to live the present, to live the present in peaceful and free. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. And thank you, Bella G. And Leah M., good morning. And NCR, you'll be next. Thanks so much, Santa. You know, when, when uh, you know, listening to these paragraphs being read, I certainly, you know, see the progression. I mean, the disease is, is definitely turning the screws on Bill and turning those screws very, very tightly. I mean, what happened to poor Bill here? You know, at the top of the page, he's uh, laughing at the gin mills, and he's got confidence, you know, and he's got cocksureness. And then, of course, at the paragraph that we just read, you know, now he's questioning his sanity. He's contemplating suicide. I mean, things have really uh, gone downhill. And that's exactly, you know, the importance of this story, not only the identification, but to to read and to reflect upon this mad descent into the, you know, alcoholism. It is vivid and detailed progression of my illness, and I relate to it. You know, I relate. I mean, I I relate to being in college and, you know, things were going well for me and I had reached goal weight, um, you know, I was feeling on top of the world, and suddenly, you know, the thought crossed my mind that, you know, eating a candy bar was a great idea, and then, of course, the progression took on like a runaway train, and it took, you know, getting beaten and pummeled by this disease to really get an education about the illness um, that I had not gotten before, that, you know, this is the real insanity of my illness. 
is this obsession of the mind. The, the insanity is not that Bill drinks himself into drunkenness and, you know, uh, you know, ends up under bar stools urinating on himself. Anybody who drinks alcohol to excess would have certain, uh, you know, repercussions from that excess alcohol. The insanity that the big book is talking about is the insanity that takes control of him before uh, the alcohol is ingested, meaning the insanity of picking up that first drink. The big book suggests to me that I have a defective mind, that I'm suffering from an obsession where one idea enters my consciousness and dominates it in such a way that all other ideas are shoved aside. And the obsession becomes the only reality, and that is exactly what we see here with Bill. You know, I had thought I was making a decision. I was changing my mind. This time, I'm going to pick up a first bite. But, you know, after that happened again and again and again and again and again and again, I had to realize through this education, I was not changing my mind. I was succumbing. I was compelled to pick up that first bite beyond my ability to control it. That's the insanity. When we talk about powerlessness, it's not when uh, we're, you know, when we're already uh, drugged up or drunken. The real area of powerlessness, just wrapping up, is when he learns all about alcoholism, when he learns about it and he still picks up. That knowledge will not keep him sober. And I relate to that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Leah M. And SDR, before I next round up. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. It's Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, and um, here we're um, seeing Bill still stuck in the um, the, the um, well-known cycle of the spree. Um, the uh, you know puts the he puts the, the liquor down. You know to self-knowledge, willpower, resolutions, solemn oaths. Then becomes restless, irritable, and discontented, you know, um, because life is happening to him. And he succumbs, he succumbs, and he drinks again, and then he wakes up the next morning and, re- and, and beats himself up. He doesn't, really, he doesn't understand what happened. You know, he didn't want this to happen. Uh, and, he's off, and he's off again. And he's going to do this for three more pages, a few more years. And I did the same thing for all this four and a half decades, the exact same thing, except instead of alcohol, I used food. But for the past four years, I've actually been obsession-free. Uh, I've been a size six um, after having uh, supported almost 200 pounds in a five-foot-one frame. And how did I get there? You know, I, I learned four years ago that my body can't take it, and my mind can't leave it alone. And that is why I am so powerless over food, and that's why my life was so unmanageable. How could I manage my life when the only thing I could focus on was food? Um, and, you know, this is why it's, it's incredibly important to put the food down before we start working the steps. Yes, it's the steps that bring, the, bring us the recovery and the transformation, but they, too, are going to be totally ineffective unless I put the food down first. I'm not going to get anywhere. And that's exactly what I did four years ago uh, by the grace of God. Put the food down. My sponsor took me to the steps according to the big book. And today um, I am free. I am free of the obsession. I am out of 
um, the cycle of the well-known stages of the spree. I don't have to endure that mental torture, the food obsession. And of course, I have no cravings because my substance has been out of my body for over four years. And that is the freedom. That is the freedom. Put the food down, work the steps, and you get a life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. And before I open up the lines, I just want to thank you all for your patience with my hearing. But I just want to clarify some names here up front. Um, I have Nancy R. for the next round, Kim G., and Roxanne G. Those are the three next people to um, share. And would anybody else like to be added to that list? Reva P. Anita L. L. Okay, I have Nancy R., Kim G., Roxanne, Roxanne, I believe it's G., Reva P., and Anita L. Nancy R., you're up next. Hi, good morning, Santa, and thank you for your service. Uh, The sentence I want to focus on, my my rhythming nerves were stilled at last. You know, during the um, Visions Conference, I heard a lot of things that I've heard for years. And, you know, sometimes you hear something that you've heard over and over and over again, but then uh, you hear uh, someone says it, and it just has a whole different meaning. And what I heard at the conference was that food food was not my problem. Food was my solution. And uh, I've been reading uh, the stories in the first edition, that I got at the conference, and I mean these these people told it like it was in a raw, unedited way, and they all speak to the fact that alcohol was their solution. Alcohol wasn't their problem; it was their solution. And it finally dawned on me after all of these years of being in the program that I too uh, use food as a solution. I understand. Uh, the physiology behind putting in the first bite and what happens physiologically. But ultimately, food became the solution to uh, my problem. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I don't live that way anymore. Uh, I can identify, I, I identify with, uh, for years I couldn't identify with the stories in the big book because uh, I felt, you know, I had never gone down to the depths that many of the alcoholics who told their stories. But I can really match them. I can match them uh, incident by incident. I'll just mention one. Walking down beautiful uh, downtown Chicago with a box of candy, a fanny maids in my hand, over 300 pounds, shoving them, shoving them into my mouth. Didn't want to do it. Didn't know how not to do it. Thank you, God, I don't live that way anymore. Uh, Thank you, God, that uh, uh, the 12 steps have entered into my life, and today I have no desire uh, to live that way. Thank you for letting me share. And thank you, Nancy R. And good morning, Kim G. Kim G., if you're speaking, we don't hear you. Okay, then it was my ears. Roxanne, are you on the line? Ready to share?
Okay, Reva P. Are you available? Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Um, thank you all for sharing about the uh, vicious cycle um, that is triggered when I uh, trigger my physical allergy. Um, what I wanted to share on was um, the thinking that's going along with all of this um, insanity um, and up and down roller coaster ride. Um, just these comments of a sense of impending calamity, writhing nerves, um, and, and what the solution was for me. Um, remorse, horror, hopelessness, fear, any emotion, the only thing that stilled my nerves seemed to be the food until it backfired and it didn't work anymore and I knew no other solution. Um, and for today, I still get into fear um, and I can be hopeless um, sometimes where my you know, defective thinking takes me, but I have a different solution. Um, through the steps, I've developed a relationship with a power greater than myself um, because I know when I get into thinking like Bill that I can fix this. You know, I can be abstinent physically and still think I can fix outside issues, people, and situations. Um, and that's my disease as well. So as soon as I get rid of all the eyes, like all the eyes in his sentence, just like we've been reading all along, and remember that I don't know anything. My best thinking got me into this um, place. So step one is I'm powerless. I don't know. I don't have the answer. And I love how he uses the word fix. This will fix it. I always felt I needed a fix because I wasn't right with me. I wasn't right with the world. I just didn't feel right. And food was the solution to fix it. I want a fix. And now, instead of getting a quick fix through a substance, um, I have a power that I can access that can solve all my problems. Because instead of telling God how big my problems are, God tells my problems um, how huge and almighty he or she is. And I am so grateful. I had no conception of that before. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. And Anita L. Good morning. Renata. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L., recovered compulsive overeater from Philadelphia. And I wanted to share about the remorse, horror, and self-pity. And, uh, you know, the, the next day, or maybe even after I finished my binge, I would always hate myself and think, why did you do it again, again? And, uh, you know, I did it again because I was powerless over food. And I did not make my higher power first. Uh, I had to continue to work the steps, and I just wasn't doing that. And so I'm relearning today that, even though I have an insanely busy day today, I need to go to my face-to-face -face meeting this morning, even though I have so many other things to do, because my program must come first. 
even after listening to this meeting, you know, I am going to a meeting. However, I need my face-to-face people also. Um, And to get that shot of recovery uh, on a a daily basis. And um, also it said, you know, how Bill walked into a cafe and then he pounded on the bar wondering how, you know, how did this start again? You know, what did he do? Well, he had no business going into a restaurant with a bar if he's just newly uh, putting his drink down. Just like for me, I have no business going into a bakery or a buffet or, or some place that I know would be dangerous, maybe even Thanksgiving dinner. You know, if I'm just newly recovered and know that the food and possibly people may be toxic for me, I need to do whatever it takes to recover and meditate on it and listen to the message I get from my higher power because together my higher power and I can do what I can never do alone. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. And thank you, Anita L. And Renata, I did hear you, but unfortunately we won't have time um, for your share. And there were so many people who wanted to share, and I apologize, I couldn't get many names. I'm going to go back to um, Roxanne. I see I pronounced her name wrong. It's Russ Ann. Are you available for our last share this morning? Russ Ann? Okay, if not, then I go to the next name that was, that was given to me, and that is Janice B. Janice B., are you available to share? Okay, then I was given the name Rachel W. This is Rachel W., but I did not uh, I did not put my name out there. Okay, then I was text the wrong names. Then I apologize. I apologize for the for the mix up this morning um, and for the confusion this morning. So I guess at this point we will um, end this meeting and go on to our last um, reader, and that reader will be Karen S. Karen, if you can read um, page 164 of Books is Meant to Be Suggestive Only, please. Hello, everybody. My name is um, Karen S. I am from Michigan, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask God in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 
and keep you until then.